I, I tell people all the time, you know, as a steward of the story, you can't wallow in self-pity because it would be doing a complete disservice to all of those who called the Negro Leagues home. They, again, they never cried about the social injustice. They went out and did something about it. Welcome to Guild Stories, the podcast where every person has a story, and it's the stories that connect us all. I am Justin Rickliffs, founder and CEO of Guild Content. We are so grateful you're here. This podcast is a place where we'll explore the stories of hustlers, dreamers, and doers who are going for it by pursuing meaningful work and living life with purpose. Welcome to Guild Stories. Welcome back to Guild Stories. Um, I am, I'm tickled. We're sitting here, I'm sitting here um, at the Field of Legends at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum with, with two of the most well-dressed, and uh, I always feel underdressed when I'm around y'all. Um, so I'm here with Kiana Sinks, the Digital Marketing Strategy Manager and Community, community Engagement Manager at the, at the museum, and also Bob Kendrick, the President of the museum. So guys, thanks for having us, and uh, it's a privilege to be together for sure. Thanks for having us. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure to be on the show. Thanks again for having us, and welcome here to the Field of Legends at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. We are uh, we're honored, man. It's a it's a privilege. I'm I'm almost speechless because I, I feel so uh, privileged to be here and and to to talk about your group. It would be. Um, just one jumping in point is as I rolled in today, we're recording this on a Monday, which is an off day for the museum. Um, your lobby is full. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a second. What's, I forgot. I forgot that this is a vaccine site. You know, with your friends at, at hy V, our mutual friends at hy V. I was really, um, it was just a neat moment to see how, how you all are also just continually serving the community. So can you tell us a little bit about what your friends at hy V are up to? Yeah, no, we are tremendously proud of our partnership with hy V and certainly the opportunity to turn this museum into a vaccination clinic. Mm. And it dawned on me when we did our first clinic in early March, I believe it was March 15th, that we did our first clinic here with hy V. almost a year from yeah. the date that we had shut the museum down. And uh, there was a feeling of vindication. Mm. You know, that we were actually fighting back, mm. uh, as I use the analogy, fighting back against the bully. You know, COVID had been this bully that had taken all of our lunch money <laughs> you know, for almost a year, man. And we, no matter what route we tried to find to get to school, COVID was there trying to take our lunch money. And now we're fighting back against the bully. We're, we're punching back against the bully. And so there was a feeling of vindication. Mm. And then to make the vaccine accessible to those in this community that we serve was tremendously important to us. So when Hy-V approached me about the notion of using the museum as a vaccination site, once we figured out logistically how we could do it, it was an absolute no-brainer. And we've been a partner for two decades now, and we've done some amazing mm. things, but by far, this is the most important collaboration that we've ever mm. embarked on with hy V because this is truly a life-saving measure and the people in the community are grateful it's for us we don't do it for the fanfare mm. it's part of being a community leader mm. uh, being good stewards in this community that we serve and so it is our responsibility I think from a historical standpoint 
a civic and social standpoint. We're just simply doing what we are supposed to be doing. Fighting against the bully. I love that. <laughs> it's, so, it's so good. It's so good. Um, we we made our friendship and connection through, well, Kiana, we, we met through Andre Davis, a friend at Built Interior. Um, and then, Bob, we met you through the, the work we were privileged to do with the, the, the formerly known as Kansas City T-Bones, now the Kansas City Monarchs. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, there's a million ways I think we could, we could go here. But what I'd love for you all to maybe start with is just a quick... Um, tell us your story. Who are you kind of individually? Uh, we'll let Kiana go first. Um, what's your background? How'd you get here? And then as we move forward, we, we're obviously going to talk about the museum and the future and everything that, that uh, you guys are up to. Yeah, I, for me, it was, you know, academic scholarship uh, through the Greater Kansas City Foundation. I feel like symbolically all this is coming full circle for me because Jessica Brandmeier and Mark Brandmeier, who are siblings to the Brandmeier family who owns now the Kansas City Monarchs were my kind of opening to Kansas City. Crazy. Which is funny uh, mm. now because I feel like, you know, being with the museum um, and the role and the capacity of our partnership is just kind of full circle, of course. Um, awesome. And so they said, hey, Kiana, you know, you have to maintain the 3.0. You're at Central Methodist University. Uh, it's in Fayette. We're in Kansas City. We need you to come back here to learn about the community. Mm. And oh, by the way, you know, <laughs> probably like every other week you need to do that. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so um, you're, you're coming back and forth. You're learning about the community and everything it has to offer. Mm. Simultaneously, I'm at a predominantly white college. Uh, Michael Brown, Trevor Martin happens. Everybody's like, mm. what the heck? And then you, you know, Catalyst, you just found your school's African-American Student Union. Mm. I started running collegially to do that full time. And ultimately that paid for my college tuition on top of what the Greater Kansas City uh, Foundation with the Brand Myers contributed as well. That's cool. And so for me, it was, I feel like now, you know, sitting here with Bob and kind of looking back full circle and my first tour was with him. Um, my school planned that, if you remember, and it was kind of like, hey, if you want the black experience, you're not going to get that in Fayette, Missouri. <laughs> you got to come to Kansas City to visit the Nicker Leagues Baseball Museum. And uh, I still remember that day, and mm. uh, it's pretty impactful for the university. And then I leave years later and mm. graduate with honors and some things that I wasn't expecting. And then, like most people, you just fall in love with Kansas City and everything that it has to offer. And so I've known Bob for a while, and um, it's just been an amazing, I think, for me personally, prior to the museum and just my advocacy here in Kansas City. I don't mm. think I would be able to do this job. I think you needed to kind of already have that built mm. in you. To, to kind of align yourself with the institution like the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Mm. And I think I've told Bob, like, I know he's been doing this for such a long time, but I feel like he's already set the, the tone and the environment and the kind of the respect level that even if he doesn't say this is what you should do, you just have to know how to do that. And so I found myself kind of, you know, doing that individually, but now with the museum, <laughs> it's like... Wow, what a what a job! That's awesome. <laughs> and tell us about that job. What what does your? I know it's a million things in a million ways, but tell us about you know the Cliff's notes of of your role here. Yeah, I think I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, <laughs> Me too. I'm yeah, trying to figure out my job yeah, too. I get it. Yeah, I'm like you know I think for Bob, if correct me if I'm wrong, it was hey community engagement's growing for the museum. We need somebody to manage it in a way that you know. I trust and you know mm. it's kind of just taking ownership we've never had anything mm. like this for the museum so I feel like I'm fortunate because I get to kind of 
have fun with it. Mm-hmm. I feel like for me, it's been an amazing thing because I know that this institution has so much um, has so much to give. And, and granted, I'm just a small part of, you know, the bigger picture. But just seeing, like, for example, our social media presence, you know, everything that Bob talks about is now matching what is been floating around for 30 plus mm-hmm. years in our institution and the stories, you know, I looked like two, three weeks ago on our impressions and Dipsy Do was the most popular word that Bob said that everybody loved <laughs> <laughs> about Satchel Pages, one of his fastballs. And so it's just all little things like that. Or like That's today, awesome. you know, we're sitting down with you and we get to have conversations or it's amazing, you know, mm-hmm. things like the Kansas City Monarchs and seeing that rebrand. I mean, I've, I mean, it, or it's the streetcar that for me was my mm-hmm. first kind of my baby to be like, all right, like, <laughs> this is my project. I'm owning this. I'm going to do awesome. this. And so yeah. it's just been a lot of cool things. And this is only for me six months, you know, and this is a pandemic. This is not really the full mm. level or depth of the museum and like what's a full baseball season looks like. So I'm just really like jumping in kind of just <laughs> head and feet first, both at the same <laughs> end, I guess. Cannonball. Yeah. Cannonball and deep. just kind yeah. of going in. It's and, awesome. and, and it was important for us that a lot of the engagement work I was doing and in trying to fulfill my role as president of the museum, but that work was growing well beyond what Mm. I could dedicate my time to. I mean, engagement comes naturally with the position. I mean, that's part of who I am anyway. Mm. But we needed to add some arms and legs to it. We needed to add strategy behind some of the things that we were doing and we need to get younger. Mm. Yeah, we have to be able to connect to a younger demographic. And so Kiana's role kind of encompasses a little bit of all of that. Mm. Uh, And so we're excited about it. She's already had a tremendous impact in areas, you know, I was dibbling and dabbling on social media, (laughs) and I guess it was working, but I had no idea what I was doing. And so it's nice to have someone who actually understands how this works, why it works, and what we need to do to continue to make it work and grow. And and so we're all kind of growing and evolving in this at the same time. And so it's been exciting to see the pace is hectic even during a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so we can only imagine what it's going to be like once we eventually come out of this pandemic. Oh, man, that's so true. Um, and we've we've watched from the sidelines a little bit, and and y'all are y'all are hopping, man. <laughs> like it, 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 it's like a full full sprint. Um, and Kiana, your comment about Bob leading you on a tour, I, I had the privilege to bring our team through, and this was yeah, I mean it was May June ish of last year, I think somewhere in that ballpark when yeah pandemic was sky high, and we were socially distanced and masked up and the whole thing, but. Um, to have Bob Kendrick lead a tour of this building mm. is like, are you kidding? What a, what a bucket list. And um, for, for those who haven't had the, the pleasure of being in this building, yeah. I, maybe at the risk of being dramatic, like it, it literally feels like holy ground, right? Like it feels mm. like there's an energy, there's a, there's, a, there's a presence, there's a spirit of, of goodness that came at, at great cost, right? At, at an, in, um, how, how to those who haven't been through the museum, how do you describe it? For me, I describe it as 
an experience that will encapsulate America mm. at her worst, mm. but also America at her triumphant best. Mm. And I think you crystallized exactly what this experience is all about. Because I do think the more majority of the people who come here expect to be introduced to a very sad, somber kind of story because we know that this story is anchored against the ugliness of American segregation, which certainly was a horrible chapter in this country's history. But out of segregation rose this wonderful story of triumph and conquest. And it's all based on one small, simple principle. You won't let me play with you? then I'll just create a league of my own. Mm. And that's where the inspirational aspect of this story comes from. That's why I say that it's America at her worst, but also America at her triumphant best. Mm. Because these athletes never cried about the social injustice. They went out and did something about it. Mm. And there's something very American in that spirit. Mm. So while America tried to prevent them from sharing in the joys of her so-called national pastime, it was the American spirit that allowed them to persevere and prevail. Mm. And so you do, you leave here cheering the power of the human spirit to do just that, prevail. Man, I've got chills, man. Kiana, what I'm, what I'm thinking about as Bob's describing that so beautifully is the, the athlete wasn't just an African-American male. No. There were, there were, Hispanic. There were women. Like I've just I, one thing that I that I couldn't believe as we walked through this place together was, and I think there were three women, right? Did I get that right? Three women that played. Yes. Yeah. Like Kiana, at, in your world, as you're thinking through like the the legacy and the history, um, and and our team was fortunate to work with you on on an International Women's Day post and things like that. Um, it, it's got to just mean so much for you to to work at a place like this and like, and all of your, what, what I'm trying to go is tying in your own advocacy, your own platform, your own mission that you're, that you're about with your life. Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty, especially like being younger and like not mm -hmm. going through that time in America, you know, and just mm -hmm. how we witnessed George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and just all the things of last year. And then you come to a place like the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum that, you know, that's all they embodied, body, you know, they didn't care about, you know, hey, like I couldn't play in front of, you know, or I had to sit on the bus and eat peanut butter and crackers. I mean, they just did it. And then it makes you for your own life and just being me. It's like, well, what do I have to complain about if I can't, you know, go to go get a Starbucks today or, you know, like just like it's like, OK, equality or Starbucks, which one? Like, you know, like weigh it out today, you know. So I just feel like it's really gave me perspective as such a early start that honestly I need that is probably best for me even though I don't like it and then you think about you know Bob always mentions how everything anything you can think of to mm. reference for the Negro Leagues you can find it in our story and apply that to your life and to your point you look at women and how we're seeing you know our voices being elevated now in the workforce and in sports and the strides we're taking you know it, it is inspiring to come here every single day and you see our story embedded in just that and how you can, you can, you can be great, you know? And I feel like just being here, you know, is, is a lot of just not doing my job, but it's like being here, <laughs> you know, right. just like being here is like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, you can't, you can't be sad for too long. You can't like, just be like, Oh, like, you know, all right, I didn't do that right. Or if you made a mistake, you know, like not just with Bob, I feel like our whole team, you know, embodies 
everything that the story we preserve uh, we stand for and it's it's really you know eye-opening I think for me we're one of the best institutions you know that from all levels you know not only carry that but everyone across the country says the exact same thing the exact same thing like it's amazing you should go I mean we're like on the top probably five places you have to visit when you come to Kansas City and I don't know you just can't you just can't make that stuff up for me and it's just to sit here with him and to know like okay at some point Buck O'Neill was you know sitting on the same bench that I sat just casually it's kind of weird <laughs> you know totally. like but it's kind of powerful to think like you know if I was with him and you know, it wasn't just like, oh, they were just together. And you just think about, like, what if not? You know, how all the stars aligned to afford us the opportunity here in 2021. And I don't think that he would ever be able to fathom or Connie, Connie Morgan or, you know, all these people that, you know, have been in the museum would see us, like, trending on Tip Your Cap. And, like, they'd be like, what is Twitter? Trending, what's that? What is trending? Yeah, yeah. like, so it's just, you just kind of go through this. For me, you know, being 26, I'm just going through this weird, like, okay, is this real? Like, mm. okay, like, a, mm. you know, what would, like, what would Satchel do if he went to the beer thing this morning? He probably would have just, like, tipped his cap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So it's just, it's just all kinds of things that awesome. come to my mind, and yeah. it's just really cool. And, and I think it's important, you know, uh, we talked about getting younger, and uh, the voices that echo what this story is about, it's important that it comes to them from someone that they can relate to. Mm. You know, it's great for me to share the story, and I want our young people to relate and understand. But it's also helpful when it comes from someone who is their equal, their peer. Mm. They're a same age group that's saying, hey, this is cool. Mm. History is cool. This story is impactful. It is meaningful. It is powerful. It is pertinent to the things that are important to us at this stage in our lives right now where the buzzwords are about diversity and inclusion and equity and tolerance and respect and all of that mm. is wrapped up inside this story as you alluded to the negro leagues didn't care what color you were mm. and they didn't care what gender you were all that mattered to them was can you play can you play <laughs> can you play and do you have something to offer mm. and, and really that's the way it should be mm. and, and it's beautiful that that is embodied in this story. Mm. You come here and you see that they never succumb to treating others the way that they had been treated. When human nature would have said, well, if you responded any way differently, we all would have understood. Mm. It would have been okay, and everybody would have said it would have been okay. And they just refuse mm. to allow themselves to react the way uh, that they had been treated in such, sometimes such a vile and hateful and mean-spirited way. Mm -hmm. And they just would never do that to anybody else. And there's something, it just touches you mm -hmm. when you see people react. And I think that's why we fell in love with Buck O'Neill. Because Buck O'Neill was this living presence that demonstrated yeah. to all of us that you could get further in this life with love than you could with hate. And we were watching this every day man. with this man. He was living it out. And all of a sudden, you've seen all of these people, you know, just start to rally around him. And they were believing that same thing. And I, I do. I think people walk out of this place sometimes either changed or certainly more inspired to live their lives differently. Mm. You, you both have mentioned Buck, and it was on my, my path here. So let's go there. I'd love to hear the 
you know, we're, we're in the storytelling business, right? And you guys are wonderful storytellers too. So you get this. Um, what's the origin story? Like, what is the story of the museum? How did it start? Like, how, did, how is this even a thing? 1990. 1990 in a tiny one-room office across the street from where we operate now, the historic Lincoln Building, mm. sitting in an office with a conference room table, not much bigger than our <laughs> pseudo studio that you set up here. <laughs> with guys like the late great Buck O'Neill and other local Negro Leaguers who were still with us at that time. Sad to say, they've all passed on now. now. All of the guys who were involved with this, who lived here in Kansas City, played in the Negro Leagues, they're all gone now. And they took turns paying the monthly rent to keep that little office Man. open. And with it, our hopes and dreams of one day building a facility that would mm. pay rightful tribute to not only one of the greatest chapters in baseball history, but what now thousands of people each and every year discover, one of the greatest chapters in American history. But that's how it started, man. So we are as <laughs> grassroots an organization as you will ever encounter. Quite frankly, no one gave the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum any chance of succeeding because not only was it beginning in such a non-traditional fashion, with no seed money in place. Most, most museums start with some seed money in place, some endowment already in place. We're so fond of saying we started with a hope and a prayer, but we had a dedicated few who believed wholeheartedly that this story deserved to be told and that it could be impactful in the lives of others if we were successful in telling that story. And they dedicated, they dug themselves in into the trenches, and we were able to get this thing moving. By November of 1997, we had moved from that one-room office to this beautiful space now that is recognized as our permanent home. So we went from a one-room office to about 10,000 square feet of exhibit space, and along that journey became recognized as America's National Negro Leagues Baseball Museum as deemed and designated so by the United States Congress. Mm. So it has been a remarkable journey for a little museum that nobody gave any chance of succeeding. And then you couple that with the fact that there was nothing here at 18th and Vine except the old Lincoln Building. Mm. So our most ardent supporters were questioning why would you build a museum when there's nothing there to help support you? And I could understand exactly what they were talking about. But for the infinite wisdom of Buck O'Neill, who said, this is where we will build this museum, and in doing so, we will help resurrect this very once proud, prominent African-American community. And so there was nothing self-serving about this for us, because those who were questioning were absolutely right. We could have gone to other places that would have been a much better business opportunity for this museum. But again, it was always about the greater good. And in that spirit embodies the Negro Leagues. So wherever you had successful black baseball, you had thriving black economies. And so we took that leap of faith, we anchored here, and here we are now almost 31 years later, we haven't looked back and people are living and playing and working at 18th and Vine again, mm. and the best is still yet to come. Mm. Amen, man. That's so good. Kiana, Bob's comment about the national organization, the, your comment 
in a different meeting a couple weeks ago kind of keeps ringing in my ears about this isn't, I mean, the 31 years tells the story, but I think I I would love to hear you unpack the next chapter as we see it. We can't predict it perfectly, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, But you, you have unapologetically talked about this being a national treasure, this being a national organization. This isn't, it's amazing that it's rooted and based in KC, but that this is a national uh, gym, right? How, how do you all view that and how do you start to tell that story on a national scale as opposed to, again, not minimizing the impact we're having in Kansas City, you all are having in Kansas yeah. City. Um, but, but jumping in on Bob's comment about national made me think of you. How, how would you, how, how are you thinking about that? Yeah, I feel like, you know, you look at everything that Bob's talked about, right, from 1990 till, you know, moving forward and being recognized as America's, you know, National Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, and then you see all of the the strides along the way from Buck until Bob and him coming back in his own story and how he full took that full circle and landing back here at the museum, and you see the national presence that we have garnered through storytelling and through him putting things out there in a way that has, you know, captured the hearts and minds of people across America. And so it makes you think about, you know, when people, you know, either talk about the museum or is it local or, you know, here and you're like, yeah, like we're here, but it's like, we're bigger than that. Like, and not that people don't think that, but people don't appreciate that, you know, and not that I want people to, you know, I'm mad at people. It's just kind of like, no, like, we are a national brand and that's just the cockiness of like, we know that like internally, like you don't have to tell Bob that, you know, but it's just like, you want people to respect Mm. like what we have. And I think that comes with how you tell that to other people. So for me, like, I mean, I'm just, I think in everything that we've experienced in the year and Mm. you kind of look at like where we are and you want white people, my white allies to understand that, you know, this is not given, like you have to like do the work. So meaning if you want to learn about race, like, mm. well, here's a place you can come do that. You know, mm. the New York baseball mm. museum, you know, it's centered around sports and, and granted it might not be as, you know, blunt and to the point, but it's mm. all wrapped around that. And so I think for me, it's just, you see so much potential. It's like our storytelling is here at a hundred in the digital and the potential it just needs to like match Mm, mm. because there's so much out there so it's like we're not lacking on people knowing who we are now it's just so much more opportunities that like Bob said when you're just focused Mm. on surviving day to day Mm. when you weren't promised you're not thinking about like all of the other things that we could potentially be doing so I think for me maybe it's just new new lens new I don't know but I know we have things I have things I have to learn like about the museum that I'm still learning every single day I hear from him and then I'm like he'll tell you I'm quick to sometimes pop off I have to learn sometimes (laughs) I can't do that (laughs) Uh, so you know you just you just want people to respect like like what people have laid before you and and I and I'm just biased I mean mine's is the museum I, I mean I care about other things as well but you, you have to make sure that's at the top of people's mind, especially here locally, because it's like we're not we weren't granted this wonderful piece, you know, of, of, of an institution here in Kansas City that a lot of people not only didn't give hopes of surviving, but just we if it wasn't for, you know, her 
wisdom of our board, (laughs) bringing Bob back, we probably wouldn't have a museum. So Mm. I mean, it's just so much stuff that I feel like, you know, if people made a Netflix documentary about the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, they would be like, yeah, okay, we get it. Like, because you see so much of our story being unpacked. And so for me, you just... You just want what people have worked so hard to build. You you want people to respect that. And I feel like for me, not that saying that people have it, but from a national mm-hmm. level, you just want people to realize like, yeah, we're not just here in Kansas City. Like we're we're talking to Major League Baseball, you know, when those things happen, when they say, hey, we're recognizing Negro League stats as, you know, major, major stats is like, okay, that's here in Kansas City. Okay, I just got off the phone with Bob yesterday. That's my friend, and he's literally on CNN. Like, those are things <laughs> yeah. that people are, like, starting to now, I think, really, like, oh, yeah, yeah like, put together. Like, the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum is really doing mm. – is do just – and I think we have done that, but now you have mm. to meet people on Twitter. You have to meet people on Instagram. You have to touch people where they are, and I think people are starting to put all those moving pieces together that makes it go, yeah – he yeah this is the real deal so yeah I want you to put some respect on our name I want you to put some respect on Bob's name and that's not because people don't it's just that's just it just needs to be said because you people don't need to forget that like when you wear a Negro Leagues Baseball Museum shirt wear it with pride be careful what you do (laughs) like like that's that's just me like I'm just proud of our institution and I just think you know you just you kind of carry that because if you don't then who you know what I mean? Like if, if if I don't if I don't carry that outwardly with my generation to set the next five to ten years, then who else is going to do that? So yeah, when you come here, yeah, you should you should feel a certain way. You should act a certain way. You should be careful in how you handle our brand with tender love and care because it wasn't given. So I love it. I love it. And and for me, I oftentimes say that the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum is Kansas City's gift to the rest of the world. And everybody believes that every museum should be in either New York, D.C., or West Coast, L.A. And this museum is exactly where it's supposed to be. We are one of only two national museums in our great city, along with our friends over at World War I. And that is something that we are inherently proud of. I think from a museum standpoint, we feel very strong with the recognition that is being generated by this museum on par with any museum in the country. And matter of fact, in our city, I could only think of the sports teams that may get more national attention than the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Uh, And so that's something that we're really proud of because we have to do it in a, a completely different way than most museums do because we don't have the resources that they have, and yet we continually find ways to remain relevant, to to get people to talk about us in a positive fashion. And, and again, I feel like we've just scratched the surface. But, you know, I go back and I look at the series of things that took place here since I got back 10 years ago, which is still hard to believe that it's been a whirlwind 10 years since I returned back to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. But, you know, even going back early on, when you've got a spokesperson, the magnitude of Buck O'Neill, you were able to capture attention. You know, after Buck's appearance on Ken Burns' epic documentary, Baseball, and America fell in love with Buck O'Neill, he was there commanding national attention, and his museum and his story was there at the forefront. And so that started to catapult the museum into national attention. And then we've just been able to steadily build on that. But again, Kiana's right. It's now about making sure that you take 
advantage of all these connectivity, these connecting points, so that there's a new generation that is coming into this, and they don't know about Buckle Neal, sad to say. And so now they're being introduced in a different way and through different tactics. And so we've got to be able to continue to seize that. But, man, I tell you, you know, the things that we were able to do last year with the pandemic and the Tip Your Cap campaign and the National Day of Recognition with Major League Baseball, great partners like our friends over at the Kansas City Royals, it, it, it helps us immensely that we are a Major League Baseball city. And the fact that we were drawing other teams and their media outlets coming in each and every year to talk about the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. So they become our arms and legs and voices to take this to their fan base. And we were feeling the impact of that. You know, that's what we missed last year during the pandemic was the opportunity to welcome all those teams back here to the museum. So, you know, uh, our national presence is still growing. You know, it filled me with great pride during the uh, AFC championship game right. and that spot ran and it crashed our website. Now I wasn't happy about it. Wasn't happy about it crashing our website. It was a it was a problem, but it was a good problem that mm. so many people became just aware of the museum through just that quick segment and mm. they were blown away by what they saw that they instantly went to our website and blew the thing up. <laughs> <laughs> blew it up. Well, it's uh, I'm dying. Can you see it just yeah, yeah. in like Patrick Mahomes? You know, like I, I just I feel so like I don't know him from from Adams and Eves, you know, but just seeing you know Bob hearing him say like he came to the museum his rookie year before he like blew up, mm. and you know then now watching him you know come out of the you know get out of the car and walk in you know the tunnel head to the locker room with 1945 mm. uh, Jackie Robinson you know jersey to pay homage and respect to the Negro Leagues in, in the museum, you know, and he's 25, you know, or 26. And it's just like, I mean, he's one of our biggest stars, not just in Kansas City, in the world, you know? So it's like, you just look at him and you're like, okay, that that's a, that's to Bob's point. It's just like younger and just finding those ways that are meaningful and impactful to the next generation. And because of that, you know, even though like that segment might have only been 10 seconds, but everybody was watching that's that. Right. And we were, I was stressed. I was at home in my pajamas and, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I was, thought I was going to have fun watching the game, but it turned out to be stressful. So, I mean, it was a Why great thing. Why is the thing. website broken? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, we're missing out on a lot of stuff right now. <laughs> so, you know, it's just, it's just really fun to just look up and see like how mm. we're so connected and mm. you look back and you see, you know, like Bob was saying, like, I mean, I, mm. I, I feel like now I need to go back and start watching some of these things, like the Kim Burns documentary, like I hear Bob, because it's like the history is like, now we got to tell people, show people to go back and then build on top of it to catch up. And it's like, oh, like now we understand, you know, like that's yeah, why I feel sure. like a Netflix documentary could be made about it. <laughs> we need to make that happen. Come on, man. We should. We um, should. You, you've both mentioned the Tip Your Cap campaign. What was that? Tell, I, I know, but yeah. not everybody does. So what uh, was the Tip Your Cap campaign? Is it has become perhaps one of the coolest things that we've ever done amongst many, many cool things through the years. And this was initially was supposed to be part of our National Day of Recognition to the Negro Leagues, part of a 100th anniversary celebration. And so 
in February of last year when we announced the plans for the 100th year celebration, for the first time ever, all 30 major league teams were going to honor the Negro Leagues on one single day. Now, we've always had teams like our Kansas City Royals and other teams do their own salute to the Negro Leagues. But this was going to be unprecedented for the first time ever. Mm. All 30 major league clubs were going to take the field on the same day honoring the Negro Leagues in a tremendous show of solidarity amongst teams, players, fans. And so the tip your cap was actually going to happen in stadium. And so during a designated part of the game, the players that were going to take the field, fans were all going to stand and tip their cap, literally tip their cap in a symbolic salute to the Negro Leagues. In our sport, there's nothing more, I think, respectful that a ball player can do than just simply acknowledge by tipping their cap. That's right. And it's the ultimate show of respect. Well, as we were going through this pandemic, and it was pretty clear that baseball was not going to return by June 27th, which had been designated this day for this game, this virtual tip your cap really was born out of necessity, out of (laughs) desperation. And so I had this crazy idea, and I reached out to my good friend Joe Posnanski, the great writer, He's amazing. He is. He's, he's one of the best writers. Well, he, he's my brother. He is mm-hmm. my brother. We refer to each other as brothers, even though we're not biological <laughs> brothers. We have a bond that is similar mm. to, to brothers. And so every time I have a bad idea, I always <laughs> call Joe to vet that idea with him. And so I called Joe. I said, Joe, I got this crazy idea, man, to see if we could do a virtual tip your cap to the Negro Leagues, see if we might be able to get – a few players, former players, maybe a dignitary or two, and fans to either take a photograph of themselves or or record themselves tipping their cap to to, to the Negro Leagues. And so I'm waiting for him to tell me, Bob, that's ridiculous. You know we can't do that. And he didn't say that. He thought it was a great idea. And then he reached out to his business partner, who's a tremendous communication strategist out of the D.C. area, a guy named Dan McGinn. And he shared the idea with Dan. And Dan thought it was a great idea. (laughs) And a week before the campaign would have gone in stadium, we went to work. And by June 29th, when we rolled this campaign out, we rolled this campaign out with four U.S. presidents tipping their cap to the Negro Leagues, President Obama, Bush, Clinton, and Carter, along with dignitaries like General Colin Powell, uh, groundbreaking athletes like Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson and Billie Jean King and legends of the game like Bob Costas and then comedians Stephen Colbert, talk show host Stephen Colbert and Conan O'Brien. And the list just went on and on and on. And then when we literally went into outer space and got a tip your cap, from astronaut Chris Cassidy, (laughs) who was aboard the International Space Station. I knew then that we had done something (laughs) that was pretty doggone special. Uh, And this thing just took off. It went viral. And everybody seemed to capture the spirit of Mm. what this was all about. And it was so powerful Mm. because you saw little kids tipping their cap, Mm. you know, saying, I see you. Mm. I understand what you did. And it just, it just took off. And all of a sudden, 
I think everything that had gone wrong with the pandemic started to change and turn the other way. And, and our fortunes have just seemed to follow right behind it because we were all kind of, you know, in a state of shock because we had so much riding on the 100th anniversary year. So much was built into the planning and game planning for it and building a fundraising campaign around it and everything. And we're off to a great start. And then Mm. less than 30 days after we made the announcement, we had to shut our doors. And and so I I tell people all the time, you know, as a steward of the story, you can't wallow in self-pity. You really can't. You know that because it would be doing a complete disservice to all of those who called the Negro Leagues home. They, again, they never cried about the social injustice. They went out and did something about it. So you know you can't wallow in self-pity, but as I've oftentimes said, I was doing some wallowing right after we had to close our doors and we saw these plans seemingly falling by the wayside. And it took me a minute to kind of say, okay, look, you got to figure out a way to make a way. And that's exactly the spirit of the Negro Leagues. The spirit of the Negro Leagues is built in resiliency. And we had to demonstrate that same kind of resiliency that drove those who part, were part of the Negro Leagues. And, and I know my team were, so I had to do my wallowing in private. I couldn't <laughs> allow them to see me wallow. And, and so at some point, though, you realize that they are going to follow your lead. And, and if I think things are going to be bad, they naturally think things are going to be bad. And so I had to, again, to use a, another bad baseball analogy in this case. This time, the coronavirus was that big, nasty right-hander who threw one high and tight and knocked you down, some chin music, <laughs> and knock you down. And you know you got to get back up, dust yourself off, get back in that batter's box, and try to figure out how you're going to hit that sucker. And that's exactly what we did. We started to hit that sucker. And, and we started to gain this momentum. And we've been riding that momentum ever since then. And so, yeah, and so that's how the tip your cap came about. Uh, it evolved out of an act of desperation. But, hey, sometimes the best projects do happen that way. Yeah, uh, unbelievable! I love that. What 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 a story! <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, I I, uh, I can't even imagine. Um, as you guys, you're you're bringing up this paradox in my mind that I'd love to hear you guys unpack. You've got the nostalgia, and Bob, you've called it a romance story, right? Yeah. Uh, in the past, mixed with this progressive need to be relevant, to mm-hmm. be. At Kiana, as you were talking about, to be in the conversation in the place where the conversation is happening. Um, how do you do both of those things well? You know, in, in my mind, in my own experience, I'm thinking through, you know, my, my old man would take me out to the K <laughs> and we'd, we'd wait in line for the GA tickets in left field for five bucks or whatever it was. And, you know, my heroes growing up were, were George Brett, Frank White, Willie Wilson, mm-hmm. Bo Jackson, right? Like, it was very normal for me to watch an African-American baseball player. Like, totally normal. Um, But when Chadwick played Jackie in 42, and I'm watching that with my own 11-year-old son, who's obviously a white little kid, right? And he sees, again, it's Hollywood, but it it has to be so real. I'm getting emotional thinking about it. Like, 
he sees Jackie in front of the Kansas City Monarchs bus kind of get recruited to the big leagues, yeah. right? And and my son is like, he's dumbfounded. He's like, why doesn't he just keep playing for the Monarchs? He, he doesn't even get, like, it's just so foreign to him. Like, wh- how the hell is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. H- how the hell did they not get to go into the restaurant, Dad? Yeah. Like, how do you how do you honor Jackie and those <laughs> excuse me um, those ball players and have this progressive forward looking yeah. relevant conversation? It's like good night. Yeah, no, that and that's the balance that we have to try and strike because number one, I I have to kind of break the stigma of the fact that people believe that young people don't care about history. Because I absolutely believe that is mm. so far from being true. Mm. They care, but they care more about how it's presented. Mm. And that's the challenge that we face. How do we take a story in the Negro Leagues? Negro Leagues baseball hadn't been played in over six decades, six years now, and make it relevant, make it cool at the same time. But for Negro Leagues, you don't really have to try that hard once you understand it. Negro leagues were cool. You know, as I, I told some young folks, I'll never forget, they looked at me, this old man, like he was crazy. I'm doing a presentation over at BET, uh, Black Entertainment TV, and we're in New York. And the first words that came out of my mouth was, the Negro leagues were hip hop mm. in a jazz era. And you could see the mouths kind of open, like, oh, now what does old man know about hip hop? <laughs> But the parallels are very stark. Hip-hop was perceived to be a fad. It will never last. Hip-hop now is the most pervasive art form in, in the world. It sets trends in this country. It literally changed the game. Well, that was the Negro Leagues. The Negro Leagues were bold, brash, defiant, all these things that embody hip-hop was really what the Negro Leagues were. It wasn't going to last. It not only lasted for 40 years, it changed the way the game was played, and it changed our country for the better. And so, yeah, there was this kind of cool parallel between the two. And once you start to look and delve deeper into this story, the style of play was bold and aggressive and daring and you know so it exhibited so much energy that once people understand the story they fall in love with it too but it does become important on how we present this story to people Mm. I got to take it to them where they are that's why all these devices (laughs) and these you know podcasts and these Mm. things that they relate to if that's the way I've got to give it to them, then I have to figure out, I, I can't wait for them to come to me. I've got to go to them where they are. And it's great when I go to them where they are with voices that they respect as well. And now everybody wants to come along for the ride. You know, so that's the hope, you know, and, and, and that's kind of how we see it. But as a history museum, as a cultural institution, it's important that you find ways to be relevant, and that's what we're doing to challenge ourselves. How do we make this history relevant 
to the things that are happening in the lives of young people today. And I was no different than your son. I knew the Jackie Robinson story intimately. But when I watched it on the big screen, it still made Jackie seem to be even more courageous than we already knew him to be. Totally. It, it was just, it blew you away to actually see that on the big screen. And I can tell you now, they watered down a level of hate because they didn't need to beat you up with it to help you understand how challenging it was. And, and so, yeah, and so for the young people who come into this museum, they can't believe that our country ever operated that way once before. And we can't let it go back, which is why they have to now come in and then be past the baton to be able to continue the fight to carry us where we still yet need to go. Man, well said. Kiana, as you um, go past month six here, <laughs> you, you've, you've packed in like six decades and six months. That's the probationary period <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah, you, uh, I, I just, I think uh, you've got such a unique, you, you've mentioned a couple times the the social issues and injustices that, that we all unfortunately watched and witnessed last year. And, and that's uh, not even close to all that's happening, right? Those are just right. the ones we know, the stories we know. Um, how does this platform help unite? Uh, you know, I think of Bob, your comment earlier of um, the, the, the love is going to drown out the hate, like the, the f- being for something and not against. Like, how does this platform help to both professionally and personally help to all the things you're advocating for and with, like in your generation, um, how does how does the New Release Baseball Museum help us all get towards tolerance, all get towards equality, all get towards love? How does that happen? Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> right. um, I feel like we're going to start seeing it in action after you know later this summer. I mean, the opportunities and the things that we've been talking about with a lot of our partners like Tito's and Tacos and having those fun, like, everyday things, but now coming off of the social unrest and a pandemic, that things that maybe we took things for granted, like, you know, going to go get a cup of coffee or meeting people or, you know, hanging out with your family, and it's like, okay, we haven't seen people in, like, a year, <laughs> and we've met new people that have impacted us in ways that now we're like, okay, the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, now we can't people are even more excited to get here. And so I think just using the momentum that we've garnered, you know, over the last year and and then packing that all into, you know, the things that the museum is already doing, like Hall of Games, the Hot Dog Festival. Like, I feel like we haven't even, you know, reached those levels of, hey, like, just come to the stuff that we're doing. And then that opens up, you know, opportunities for you to, experience like you said the holy rail and the spirit that's that just still lives inside of here and and then you you're impacted that way I think what I'm learning really quickly about the museum is it doesn't we don't need all the bells and whistles I feel like we already have it within just the story and all of the hard work that I mean just when people order something I mean everybody touches that inside the office not necessarily me but just our team and just seeing like how nothing gets untouched nothing gets unnoticed and I think that's intentional. I don't think we would be as successful as, as we are or carry that same spirit that we preserve in a way, I think. Yeah. And, and I do think what we've seen evolve out of the social climate that occurred in our country established the museum in an even a, a different light for some. Not necessarily to us because we've always felt 
like we had a primary responsibility uh, as a social justice civil rights institution, but others started to see us in that light, particularly last summer after the George Floyd incident. So it actually created another caveat for this museum, another added value to what this museum is, even beyond this incredible experience when you come in and you see these courageous athletes who, as I like to say, forged a glorious history in the midst of an inglorious time in American history, mm. that speaks to the soul. You know, sure. all of a sudden, it, it allows you to, as I say with the young people, segregation summarized through the eyes of a child is summarized very simply. That was dumb. Mm. And they're right, it was dumb. But that was the way that our country was. Sure. And, and so that's what we talk about, relevancy. See, our young people are quick to say that was then, this is now. But then all of a sudden, now started to look a whole lot like then. And so a place like this becomes incredibly valuable because it helps you understand what others have had to endure. Mm -hmm. And the things that I talk about more oftentimes, particularly as it relates to race, is that very few folks can relate to my struggles as a black man in this country from being enslaved through the struggles of trying to seek equality, being sprayed by water hoses, the police dogs released on me, the police brutality that still manifests itself to this very date. Very few folks can relate to that. Now, you may empathize with it, but you can't relate to it because you haven't been in those shoes. And, but my success stories, you can relate to. And so oftentimes, our success stories have not been touted. This place touts one of those great American success stories. And the bridge becomes baseball. Baseball, people relate to. And the fact that they were over, able to overcome all of these odds to play the game they love, and then to see the incredible impact that their passion for the game would have in changing things so dramatically in our society, people can relate to that. And now maybe it opens your eyes and minds to some of the things that we're seeing happening in our society as we continue to address the racial divide that's in our country. And hopefully it opens your heart as well. You know, now that remains to be seen, but if you become more cognizant of, you are more sensitive are in tune to, I think the mind and heart operates together, you know, the way I see it. Now, I, maybe I'm getting that guy who's the ultimate eternal optimist. That's that buckle kneel spillover effect that has fallen <laughs> on me. But, you know, that's what we hope people gain from this. And then the fact that people did turn to us and for thought leadership dealing with these issues and it's opened up a whole nother world for us as we're starting to lead these conversations sure. around diversity and inclusion and equity mm -hmm. and talking not only to individuals but to corporations right. who've invested so much in this initiative now. Man, I'm honored. I'm just like humbled to hear you guys tell this story. It's just like you're kidding me. Like I, I have so much personally to learn. We have so much to learn and you, you, you all are the 
the stewards of the story, as you said. It's wonderful. I've got two. I, I could ask you questions all day. <laughs> but I know you guys have meetings and other things. Um, so I have two, two closing thoughts before we wrap, um, or closing questions. One is, and it's more of a statement, Kansas City Monarchs. What does that mean today? Like, it's just such, I mean, it's like, we stood on, you guys stood, I watched, uh, (laughs) in this room with the formerly Kansas City T-Bones, now Kansas City Monarchs. We talked about the Bram Myers. What does that mean? And part of this, like, I think it's part of this paradox of the nostalgia back to relevance. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, man. It's it's major. Hmm. It, It really is because... It gives us an opportunity to help a future generation of baseball fans understand the heritage of this game in our city. And it really begins with the Kansas City Monarchs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want that young, aspiring baseball fan to be proud of the legacy of what the Monarchs represented because they were the creme de la creme, the best of the very best in how they represented this city during a time that was very challenging for people of their color, but the pride that they had for this city. And, and I say this oftentimes when Buck talked about coming here. You know, I knew I was coming to the heart of America. I never knew I was coming to the center of the universe. He meant that. And the monarchs were right there at the heart of that experience. And now to see them take the field again, put those monarch uniforms on, and channel the spirit of all those legendary ball players that called Kansas City home. Satchel Page, Buck O'Neill, Bullet Rogan, Hilton Smith, Jose Mendez. It is, it's going to be beautiful. And, and it is about keeping that spirit alive and helping educate people about the heritage of our sport in our great city. I hear you're throwing out the first pitch. I'll probably bounce it up there, but <laughs> and he'll look good doing it. I'm sure it's it almost brings back. I'm trying to think about like what are we gonna wear? Because Monarch games, you went in style. Yes, like I gotta yes. tell Mark, like you can't come with jeans. You can't. Like I'm gonna tell Morgan and everybody, like start planning y'all's outfits because that would be doing the games a disservice to not dress up. Um, I just just FYI. I mean, yeah, I just. I just echo everything Bob said. I mean, to now hear, you know, the history and the stories, I think for me it'll be emotional. Yeah. Because well, I, I think, I think it yeah, I think yeah, it'll no, be I emotional it, for us. I mm. think it will. It was emotional the day we had the press conference. You know, my yeah. thoughts, as they oftentimes do, go to my friend Buck O'Neill and so many of the other players who were living here in Kansas City who were former Kansas City Monarchs, how proud they would be of mm. this museum, how proud they would be of this collaboration with Mark and his team to mm. – rebrand and have the Kansas City Monarchs reborn again and what this means because it's more than just a marketing partnership. This is an educational opportunity. This is a cultural kind of movement that is all embodied in this relationship. And and we look forward to doing some tremendous things, but not only is it going to be important to see them wear those uniforms here in the ballpark out in Western Wyandotte County. But man, when they on the road mm. and that bus is moving down the road, that bus says Kansas City mm. Monarchs, mm. you know? And, and there was a saying that once said, the Kansas City Monarchs were the talk of the town all over the world. Mm. That's awesome. <laughs> That's yeah. lovely. You, you, you led me to my final point well. Baseball is a game of stories. The, the, the best storytellers uh, in sport 
tie around baseball always. Um, so I'd be curious, and I have to ask the question, what's your favorite baseball story to tell? Or Keanu, what's your favorite one you've heard him tell? He, he Bobby, oh. you know, all, all kidding aside, Bob, you're, you're the greatest storyteller I've met. Yeah, I so. cannot live up to anything that comes <laughs> No out one of can. Mouth. Who can? Yeah. Who can? Um, I'm not going to try to influence. I felt pretty good, though. I, this is off topic. I was trying to talk about the fences, and the lady was like, oh, I just got chills. I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> got some Bob effect. Yes. Um, you know, he talks a lot. I hear him talk a lot, and I and I try to always not get desensitized to just mm. oh I just I'm with him every day. I just hear mm. him. I really try to like if I'm taking like listen like as mm. if I'm with the people who he's talking to. Um, I would say when he talks about when people come into the museum mm. because you set that level mm. going back to the national presence and garnering respect. Mm. Like, this is, in, er, in order to earn the right to visit our museum, you have to walk through and learn their story. So mm. by the time you bear witness of everything they had to endure, now you can take the field. Now you mm. can come take your picture with Satchel Page. is what mm. you tell my generation. <laughs> now you can come take your selfies. Now you put and, it on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, now you can put it on Instagram. So it's like that different, um, I guess, twist in my mm, mind. Mm, and, and to your point, wonderful. and just seeing, like, the monarchs and all of that, I mean, it will be emotional. I mean, for me, I'm kind of like mm. the monarchs. Like, you go from knowing Bob all these years and hearing them talk about it, and it is more of a part marketing partnership. I mean, you mm. somewhat, as the monarchs, you're mm. you're now responsible mm. to, you know, for that story and to, to teach people others, you know, why we did this and why it's important to our city, mm. why it's important to us. And so it just... It just kind of is surreal, I guess. It's like, oh, I'm going to a Kansas City Monarchs game. Like, what? <laughs> and, and, and for Weird. me, I mean, I, I obviously, I, I love the fact that people consider me to be a great storyteller because yeah. I was blessed, so fortunate, to be around perhaps the greatest storyteller of all time, Buck O'Neill. And it goes back to what Kiana said. I think the smartest thing that I ever did was I kept my mouth closed and I listened. <laughs> uh, and, and so now when I share these stories, I do so because they keep him alive in my mind and in my heart. And you want to do those stories justice because no matter how many times Buck O'Neill told you a story or told a story, if he was going to tell that story to you, he was going to tell it to you like it was the very first time that he ever told the story. He wasn't going to cheat you. And, and, and I feel like I have to carry on in that mode. So the difference is Buck lived those experiences. I got to hear them firsthand from someone who did live the experience. And I enjoy sharing those stories. And I hope these stories never die. I hope whoever subsequently follows me will still keep these stories alive I think my most favorite story to tell, however, is, and it's, a, it's one of those bittersweet stories. It's the story of the day that he didn't get in the Hall of Fame, which was one of the most disappointing days for me personally and professionally, but also one of the most inspirational days that I ever witnessed in how Buck handled the defeat of not getting in the Hall of Fame. And that story will stay etched in my mind and in my heart for as long as my mother would say, I'm in my natural mind. You know, because, to, I mean, we went through the gamut of emotions that day. And to see the strength that that man had to step out on this field, filled with 
everybody who thought that he was going into the Hall of Fame, we all thought he was going in the Hall of Fame, and he misses by one vote. And he comes out here, and he delivers one of the most amazing concession speeches that I'd ever heard, and in the process implored all of us not to be angry or bitter about the decision. And then to go on to Cooperstown and speak on behalf of those 17 who had gotten in, all of them dead. They didn't have a voice. He became their voice when the world was saying it should be your induction speech. He was there speaking on behalf of those who didn't have a voice, which I still say is one of the most selfless acts in American sports history. And then a little over two months later, Buck passed away himself at age 94 a month shy of his 95th birthday, and to be there to witness that. And sometimes you wonder, you know, why me? Why was I put in this position? This could have been anybody, you know, and you don't know in the moment why you're there. Years later, you understand it, you know, and it was meant to be that way. And, and to be able to relate that story is something that, it still makes me sad. It, it still inspires. Uh, it, it gives you a little bit of eternal drive, or internal drive, I should say. But it was a special, special day, even though it was such a disappointing day for all of us. But I, I'll never remember, I'll never forget just how amazing he was that day in defeat. It was probably his finest moment. What a powerful and beautiful way to, to wrap us. Thank you for sharing. Um, man, it's just like, I wish I could go on forever. Uh, <laughs> but we won't. So here we go. I, I warned you all. We have five quick questions, okay? So I love each of your, each of your perspectives. Last book you read or listened to or, or, an, or an influential one. I have not read a book in like seems like so long. I'm getting an MBA right now, so I'm not reading a lot of great, info, exciting <laughs> things. Um, I've one that I'll give you one that I would like to read. I would like to start listening to probably President Obama's his biography about his life and everything that he's done. That's on my list. Love it. I hope that helps. Love it. That's great. That's great. <laughs> Last book I read is once she had me read. Uh, Michelle Obama's book, nice. which was, I don't know, I didn't know the book was going to be like almost 600 pages when she asked me to read it to participate in this event that she was doing. But I read the book. I read the book. I don't think I've read a book since then. No, I've gone back and reread The Soul of Baseball, A mm. Road Trip Through Buck O'Neill's America, mm. written by Joe Posnanski, a uh, mm. Casey Award winning book. And, you know, I probably read that book two or three times, and, and I've read it many times. But it's so inspirational. Mm -hmm. So I'll pick it up and just kind of read it because I can hear Buck's voice in Joe's words. That's amazing. Like, how fortunate yeah, come is on, that? Man. Like, <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'm jealous. So, that's so awesome. Um, I know y'all don't wear t shirts often, but when you do, <laughs> what's your favorite one? Uh, I like to wear a lot of Negro Leagues Baseball Museum stuff now. I just feel like I'm going through this weird, um, not brand. weird, but You're just kind of, yeah, I'm just yeah. kind of like, you know what? Like, and then everybody's like, you literally have, like, how many hats do you own? How many shirts? And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, it's just, yeah, Negro Leagues Baseball Museum stuff awesome. right now. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah no, it's, uh, for me, my go-to t-shirt now is probably one out of the Roots of Fight line, Negro Leagues line, which is just so killer. Mm. Uh they they making some amazing stuff, and so that's usually if I if when I ever I wear a t shirt, it's usually one of theirs now. 
Yeah. It's great. Uh, what would you do right now if you weren't afraid? Yeah, probably like uh, hike, probably. Hike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the, like actually like, <laughs> like the mountains, like Colorado, like yeah. actually, like I don't, yeah. I don't know right now. Yeah. I want to, but I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm trying to say that, you know, I, I still can't, even if I wasn't afraid, I can't see myself jumping off of anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right. Like, who just wants to just go and well jump said. off something? Well said. <laughs> uh, favorite place on earth? Wow. I don't know. That's hard, Justin. I know. Sorry. Um, I would just say for me right now is probably like the desire to be at the beach. I've mm. never been to the beach mm. in my life, so mm. that's on my short to do list. You'll that take I, Obama's that book I, with you. That I will be <laughs> that, I, that I will be taking off work to go visit. <laughs> and I, I've I've been fortunate. I'm a golfer, and, and so usually stuff like that involves golf for me. Mm. But San Diego is kind of my my go to spot. It combines you know, water and uh, great climate and everything. Although Seattle is a very mm. close second. Mm. It really is. If mm. it didn't rain or wasn't as gloomy as much as it is, although every time I've been, it's never been. I think they just tell they, us they're that. They're keeping it Trying to keep us that's out right. of there. That's right. But it is as beautiful a place as it, because you get water and mountains. Yeah, that's right. But San Diego is probably my go-to spot. That's awesome. Last one. When it's all said and done, what do you want to be remembered for? Oh, I just say things like this. Like mm. I feel like this mm. is kind of my cream, mm. ice cream and the and caramel on top. Just <laughs> helping preserve, you know, the legacy of people who look like me who mm. contributed so much to society. Well yeah. said. And, and I and I think that's the thing. I, I, I want to be remembered for someone who believed in something that he dedicated his life to, that he believed was bigger than himself, and that hopefully others will enjoy for generations to come. Um, and, and hopefully that's what, you know, my granddaughter, when she eventually brings her kids here to the Negro Leagues Museum, will say, you know, your grand, great-grandfather had something to do with this place. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what motivates me, you know. Um, and, and hopefully people will have something nice to say about me along the way. <laughs> and then we'll all lie and talk about all the things you told us to say that you did, but you really didn't do. I will. I'll lie. <laughs> That's great. What a pleasure. What a pleasure. Where can people follow along on the journey? Oh, you can follow the museum on Twitter at MLBM Museum KC uh, on everything. Uh, me, just at Kiana Sinks. And, and, of course, I'm on Twitter at NLBM Prez, P-R-E-Z. And Instagram, same username. So we're between what Kiana's doing with the museum mm-hmm. socials and what I'm trying to do with steal the museum socials just through the president's eyes. You know, we we provide a lot of information about what's going on here with the Negro Leagues Museum and Negro Leagues history in general. And we're verified the black godfather of Negro leagues is verified <laughs> on Twitter, so I'm just like that, blue that, is, that is on my yeah. like things of uh, what are you most like proud of yeah. Yeah. in the six months you've been uh, at the museum? Getting our accounts verified, I feel like that was a yeah. huge thing. Yeah, huge. I had Absolutely. no idea what that blue check meant, but he said, didn't. But you've it's arrived, like, man. a whole Let's lot go. to me. She meant a whole lot to her. So it's glowing. Uh, you could not knock my swag that day. I was like, I am feeling awesome. I'm verified. <laughs>
Yes, you are. Indeed. I will verify that. Indeed. Uh, man, y'all are amazing. And I'm, I went way over time, but I'm thankful for y'all's time. It, oh, was, a, it was a pleasure. Uh, it was our pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. As always, thank you for listening. Your attention is super valuable, so thank you for giving it to us. If you're a fan of the show, please go rate and review us wherever you're listening to this. I would really appreciate it. Until next time, when we get to share another great conversation with you, have a great week and let your life tell a meaningful story.